uh, to all our friends who are online, uh, we're grateful that you're with us, spending some time with the community. Uh, even if it's online, whether you're on uh, Facebook or YouTube or CCM online, or you're listening to the podcast later on, we're so grateful uh, that you have decided to, to spend a little bit of time with us worshiping and learning and growing together. Uh, if you haven't already done so at home, make sure uh, that you head into the kitchen, get yourself some juice and some bread or some crackers as we'll be receiving communion together. And we're so grateful that you're here with us, spending a little bit of time. I want to talk to you for a couple minutes really about that, about God has created you to be you. Uh, As Claire said, we're uh, spending some time not wanting to rush past the resurrection. Sound like a good plan? You kind of live in the resurrection anyway, right? I feel off-centered, am I? (laughs) Who knows? Anyway, here we go. Um, So last week, Claire started us, so we're going to spend time. We want to really look at some of the interaction with uh, Jesus after the resurrection, before Pentecost, before Acts chapter 2, and some of the people specifically uh, and their story, because a lot of times what happens is we come to Easter, and then it's like we're moving on, right? And, and there's good reason for that. But sometimes we miss, like, such treasure. So last week, Claire talked about stages of faith and talked to us about the two travelers on the road to Emmaus, and that was just powerful stuff. Today I want to talk to you about Um, someone who is in the resurrection story, kind of central, actually, pretty central person, Mary Magdalene. Now, uh, before I get going and before we start reading Scripture, I want you to take just a few seconds here, a moment, and you can talk amongst yourself or you can write this down or just think to yourself. Um, I just want you to think about who you know Mary Magdalene as who you know that person in Scripture. And some of you might say, I don't have a clue in life. And that's fair. That's good. That might be better than some of us who are way off on the clues. (laughs) But uh, just think about it for a minute. And I want to talk to you about this amazing person and what a uh, profound example her story, what we know of it, I think is for all of us. So let's just take a second. Like I said, you can say that to a friend if you want to. And then we're going to uh, jump right into the scripture. Uh, two scripture portions uh, we're going to focus on is we're jumping into the story of Mary in John chapter 20, the resurrection story. So that's where we'll start. All right, so you've got your thoughts on who Mary Magdalene is. And. Um, There's no test. You're not going to fail or pass. Hopefully, by the time we're done, though, we'll all be a lot more encouraged, if nothing else, by her story and what an amazing person Mary Magdalene was and how her story continues to speak. Let's read this together. Why don't we stand and read it together? John 20, we're going to start with verse 1 and 2, and we're going to pick it up right at the resurrection. All right? And let's read. Early on the first day of the week, while it was still dark, Mary Magdalene went to the tomb and saw that the stone had been removed from the entrance. So she came running to Simon Peter and the other disciple, 
the one Jesus loved, and said, they have taken the Lord out of the tomb, and we don't know where they have put him. Now, we're going to skip down to verse 11, okay? But Mary stood weeping outside the tomb, and as she wept, she stooped to look into the tomb. And when she saw two angels in white sitting where the body of Jesus had lain, one at the head and one at the feet, they said to her, Woman, why are you weeping? She said to them, They have taken away my Lord, and I do not know where they have laid him. Having said this, she turned around and saw Jesus standing, but she did not know that it was Jesus. Jesus said to her, Woman, why are you weeping? Whom are you seeking? Supposing him to be the gardener, she said to him, Sir, if you have carried him away, tell me where you've laid him, and I will take him away. Jesus said to her, Mary. She turned and said to him in Aramaic, Rabboni, which means teacher. Jesus said to her, Do not cling to me, for I have not yet ascended to the Father, but I go to my brothers and say to them, I am ascending to my Father and your Father, to my God and your God. Mary Magdalene went and announced to the disciples, I have seen the Lord, and that he has said these things to her. Powerful stuff. Let's skip now. Stay up a minute. Let's skip now to another scripture that includes Mary Magdalene. Luke chapter 8, and let's read this one together, verse 1 through 3. Soon afterward, this is, hold on, I'm sorry, this is before the resurrection, right, obviously. So this is Jesus doing amazing things. This is coming out of Luke 7, which Luke 7, if you care at all, uh, is the story of the woman that uh, anoints Jesus out of the alabaster vial, out of the perfume, okay, so anoints him. That's Luke 7, that story ends, and then this is what it says. Soon afterward, Jesus began a tour of nearby towns and villages, preaching and announcing the good news about the kingdom of God. He took his 12 disciples with him, along with some women who had been cured of evil spirits and diseases. Among them were Mary Magdalene, from whom he had cast out seven demons, Joanna, the wife of Chusa, Herod's business manager, Susanna, and many others who were contributing from their own resources to support Jesus and his disciples. Beautiful. Now, I just have a question. You go ahead and sit down. Quick question for you. Um, can you think of a time where someone had a false impression or opinion of you? Yeah, has that ever happened to you? Uh, so Claire and I had been married, oh, I think we had been married, well, we had been married just around two years, right around two years. Um, so it had been um, about two and a half years since we had been in high school. And we returned to the scene of the crime, our high school. Anyway, um, we're back at, high, at the high school. We're going to go to a basketball game. At this point, Sarah, our oldest, Sarah was just born, and we kind of wanted to show her off, and uh, I'm sure. So we go to this basketball game. We had not been to our high school um, since we graduated, and we did graduate, just so you, if you were wondering. Um, so we get there, and there's a game going on, and um, as, as some of you know, 
Uh, Claire was a cheerleader. I was a basketball player, so this was kind of a cool environment to be in. And there was this one teacher who was kind of like a friend, uh, especially uh, I, I had a connection to him. I had him in class. His name was, I'll just leave it at Dennis. And uh, somewhere during the game, we're out in the lobby area, and Dennis is out there, and he's a really nice guy, and always spoke. You never had to wonder what Dennis thought. Uh, so we're out in the hall and holding Sarah, and he starts to ask questions about our lives, um, and we're telling him information, and he said, wow, he said, that's a lot different than I thought. The story goes that Claire got pregnant like right as high school ended, and uh, you were two were going to go off to college, but that spoiled those plans and the whole baseball thing you were hoping to do, that spoiled that. Then you were going to leave the area to try to avoid humiliation. You were going to get married. You were going to become a part of the Air Force and leave the area. And we're like, no, that is not what happened. This is our oldest child. We've been married two years now. And she's about a month old, so you do the math. <laughs> and he was, he was like lighthearted about it and kind of chuckling. Now, the interesting thing about the story was there were elements that were true. Claire and I at that time were married, not because we had to get married, except we had to get married because we loved each other, right? The Air Force thing, there was an element to that because I, I actually almost did go in the Air Force by then. But it wasn't to geographically remove ourselves from any area. So there were these little elements, and the story had been put together, and you kind of wonder. It's like, isn't it amazing how we are? Everybody say fake news. So you have fake news about your life. Now, sometimes it's just you kind of chuckle about it, right? Um, and I, I was going to provide a more recent story for, about Claire and I, but uh, I know Dennis won't hear this, but the other people that do the stories about us might hear it. So they're still around. <laughs> but that's how it is. So th- here's the story, right? So Mary, the impression that most people, and most people especially in the church, have of Mary is way off. Many people. So here's some of the things that People have heard for different reasons, or maybe you have been impacted a different way. Um, There are falsehoods and false impressions about Mary Magdalene, and maybe there are about you. So I want you to parallel this with your life, because Mary can relate to your life. These reinventions, false opinions, partial truths, and what happens if we're not careful We do not live into the life we were created for. We start to live a story that somebody else is editing for us and narrating. And that has never been God's intent. Now, that manifests in three different, primary three different ways. The devil speaks things over you that aren't true, brings shame into your life, tries to speak it over you. Sometimes you do it yourself. You speak things and believe things about your life because maybe failures that are real. It's your Air Force or whatever. It's your piece of the story. Listen, there's true failures, right, that have happened in our lives, but it was never God's intent 
that that would become a shameful part of our story that we can't move on from. And then the third thing, and really the big thing I think for most of us, primarily is the story other people say about us. The experiences that have happened in our life in the past, and when we walk into a room sometimes, we respond differently because we know that there's those stories out there, or a story out there, or somebody has an impression of us, and it really keeps us from living into the life we were created for. You cannot do anything about anything that you failed in or you've had a heartbreak in in the past other than getting restored from it, healed up from it, forgiven around it, and moving forward into who you are. You be you. You be you. That's what we want to talk about, right? So here's some of the things that people over uh, time have kind of created for specific reasons about Mary Magdalene. Some have thought that Mary Magdalene was Jesus' wife. There's absolutely no proof of that. Uh, other than if you watch The Da Vinci Code or something, um, that she was a former prostitute or adulteress. The scripture gives us no proof, and history gives us no proof of that. That she was a woman with the alabaster jar of perfume, which does say that that person is living in immorality. However, just so the connection by some folks is just made out of uh, Luke 7 and 8, just because it's Luke 7 and 8. But you, you just read it. What it says in 8 is soon after, soon after that story. Now, the other thing um, is some people think that this Mary is Martha's sister. You know, Martha, Martha, and Mary's at the feet of Jesus. And po- one of the primary reasons for this is there was a pope Um, In 1591, Pope Gregory that um, had a sermon that was a very well-known sermon. And in the sermon, Pope Gregory combined three Marys in Scripture. Combined the Mary from Luke 7, the Mary from Luke 8, and also combined the Mary that shows up at the cross and at the resurrection and blends all of these things together, and then blends some other things together, and out of that starts this move and falsehood around Mary's life that is just really not true. Mary is such a powerful example of a person. When you say you be you, she is just a powerful person. She's an amazing person as far as any of the evidence that we have goes. Now, there's a few important facts to just consider here. First of all, Mary Magdalene shows up 13 times in Scripture, 13 times. The only time that we see anything that has anything to do with, it, it isn't about a character flaw, it says she's delivered in, in Luke 8 there, it says she's delivered from these demons, from these, the Spirit, which doesn't really tell us anything other than we know this, Nowhere else in Scripture is demonic oppression in Scripture, whether it's a man or a woman, tied to sexual immorality. And we could go through every example, but there are certainly people that are described as being sexually immoral, but it's not tied in with demon possession. I'm not saying that a person that has some kind of demonic oppression can't have that, but it says that there's this demonic oppression that she gets delivered from. It also says that could be disease. There's other things. We'll talk about that in a second. 
Now, the other thing to consider is that 25% of the Jewish women living in Palestine, it's estimated, at that time in history, 25%, one out of four women, had the name of Mary. That's, that's a lot, right? That's a lot of women. I mean, you needed a middle name at that point, right? Somebody's got to have a middle name. Now, the other thing which kind of creates part of this is she's Mary Magdalene, right? So she's from Magdala, and Magdala, and this is, uh, this is something that comes out of the Talmud. Now, Magdala and history, Magdala is a fishing town, and it's a pretty prosperous, uh, known as a pretty prosperous uh, area. It's got much industry and influence, so Mary is from that town, and it's also known, and this is out of the Talmud, as an area of much moral decay. Moral depravity is how the Talmud puts it. So there's this bridge that's immediately put because Mary Magdala, Mary Magdalene, Mary Magdalene lives in this city that she's immoral. It would be like saying every man and woman, for instance, in, say, Las Vegas is immoral because they live in Las Vegas. Now, you know as well as I do, that's a stretch, right? I hope you understand that. So, so we see those things now. So you have the Pope. So then what comes out of the Pope is this historical art because much of the art from, from that point on, especially in the, the early times, is commissioned by the church. Like when you see the Sistine Chapel, when you see the work of Michelangelo, and you see, you go through Italy, for instance, you see all of this stuff, and so much of it is commissioned by the church. So it's out of that, it's out of that kind of frame of reference, this powerful sermon. Now, in fairness to Pope Gregory, whom I didn't ever meet, but in fairness to him, uh, he didn't have a concordance, and he didn't have Google, right? So he didn't, he couldn't check on his uh, stuff, but he could have checked on some of it a little better, I guess. But then you get all this historical art, which depicts Mary Magdalene in many times, and it creates this picture for us. And there's been a picture created of you. And, and sometimes it's not you. And now we still support it. There's movies and there's art that still goes on. Even in The Passion of Christ, which I, I think is just a, a, an amazing. Claire and I watch it every Good Friday. And there's this powerful scene, right? Where the woman, this is one of the pieces that Pope, Pope Gregory uh, assembles, one of the Marys, where the woman is at the foot, if you've seen the movie, at the foot of Jesus... And everybody's ready to stone her, right? And then that's the same Mary in the movie that's at the cross. And that's, that's a false connection. Now, we, I'm, I'm talking about the person. So we see the same person. So if the Mary caught in the act of adultery ends up at the cross, I don't know. But it's not the same person as Mary Magdalene. Does that make sense? So even, even well-meaning uh, postures 
take some of this stuff, and it becomes a part of our fabric and how we look at it. And I, what, what concerns me is that that's how we start to let our life be lived. And that we're not living who God creates us to be. Now, I don't say you be you, so that, that gives you an excuse to, to just go out and waste your life. That isn't what I'm saying is God has a real intent for your life and my life and doesn't want it dictated by anyone. He wants us to live into who, whom he created us to be, right? Each one of us. So the accurate New Testament, the way I see it, the accurate New Testament historical picture of Mary Magdalene is that she's a true, loyal disciple of Jesus who is all in. She is Mary being Mary. She is Mary Magdalene being Mary Magdalene. That's part of the reason why she did kind of get a last, middle name, whatever. You be you. So how about you? How are you doing at being you? Her example would tell us to receive. It it shows us to receive. Mary's a receiver. The scripture clearly tells us that she's got this difficulty going on with the demonic realm, evil spirits, and she receives healing. She receives restoration. Whatever forgiveness, whether it was for any of that or not, we don't know. I mean, those, those spirits could have been traumas. It could have been mental struggles she had. It could have been depression. It could have been a multitude of things. It doesn't tell us. All it tells us is she was healed from it, delivered, restored. So whatever your story... See, this is what happens is there are some people that are still trying to hold you to the story. Even here we are over 2,000 years later, and there are people still trying to hold Mary to something that, first of all, may not even be true and many times isn't true. And, and secondly, it wasn't a part of her life after she was delivered from it. Do you have that in your life? Do you ever see that? Like you get healed or restored and you're moving in a direction and you walk into a room or a situation or you're in the grocery store and there's those people or that person. And right away you feel held to something you know God delivered you through years ago. That is not your story. I believe that that's part of the reason why when the angels uh, say, or when, when the angels say to Mary at the, at the tomb, says, why are you looking for the living among the dead? This is what happens is people, sometimes ourself, or the enemy tries to hold us in the things we've been delivered from. Mary would say, receive. That's how you become you. Receive your healing, receive your restoration, receive the truth about what God feels about you and thinks about you and knows about you. She was moving on. She wasn't staying back in that place. You be you. See, and this is part of the way that God speaks to us, right? God speaks to us. We receive, and we begin, she immediately begins, it's the impression you get is she begins to kind of get direction, a new direction, kind of an accelerated direction for her life. Because that's how God is with us. God speaks through our healings, through our forgiveness, through words that are spoken maybe by God into our life or good words, God words that are spoken into our lives by others through Scripture. 
These are the breadcrumbs, circumstances in our life, provisions in our life. When you've received compassion, that's, sometimes that's a breadcrumb for your life because the Scripture tells us that we're able to give compassion like we've received compassion. Some of us know part of the call on our life, us being who we were called to be, has to do with our own pain in life that God delivered us from made sure that we realize God's compassion, and we know that that's part of the story that we carry. We carry God's compassion at a different level because we've experienced pain. Receive what God has for you. Don't live where people... People want to leave you, and the enemy wants to leave you in the cemetery. Move on from that place. This is powerful stuff. So out of that receiving, understand that Jesus, we see here, that Mary Magdalene is traveling around in Luke 8, specifically, says she's a part of this group, along with the disciples, that are traveling around with Jesus and doing the work that God's called them to. Listen, let me read it to you again. After this, Jesus traveled about from one town or village to another, proclaiming the good news, the kingdom of God. The, 20, the 12 were with him, and also some women who had been cured of evil spirits and diseases, Mary, called Magdalene, from whom seven demons had come out, Joanna, the wife of Chusa, the manager of Herod's household, Susanna, and many others. These women were helping support them. These women were helping support them. Everyone say support them. These women were helping support them out of their means. So you got this group of people, they're traveling around, and this literally is is an intense, this is the first co-ed informal Christian seminary. Here it is, Jesus in the countryside. What a great professor. And there's men and women traveling. It's in many ways outlandish, unheard of, but Jesus doesn't care because he really doesn't care about any of that stuff. All he cares about is you and me, and he cares about his presence in our life. So he's going along the countryside, and he's looking for people that want to travel with him. Mary was a part of that initial co-ed seminary. She's traveling about, which leads us to the next thing that we learn from her is to be you, for you to be you, be generous, give. Mary of Magdalene teaches us that we, we realize that generosity is a part of the fingerprint of God. If God is anything, God is generous, right? So the scripture tells us here that Mary Magdalene and these other women are supporting the group out of their means. Because what you need to understand is, think about it, so the 12 disciples, they've all left their vocation. Because Jesus said, come and follow me, so they no longer have income. They've left their businesses. They've left, you know, Matthew's left his tax booth. They left their IRS job. And it's just naive of us to think there's not any, there's not any funding that's needed. And the scripture tells us that these women, including Mary Magdalene, are funding the mission. They're paying the bill. We don't know where, how they got the money, where they got the money. It doesn't matter, but some, for some reason, those that wrote this down and the Holy Spirit felt like it was important for us to really realize that this was a funded mission. 
So Mary is a part of this seminary, and she's helping foot the bill. They're called away from all of these things. She is a person that helped provide support and care for the material needs of Jesus and the larger group. Has anybody gone on a vacation in the last year? It costs money to go anywhere, doesn't it? And even though they did not go to the Ritz-Carlton and they weren't staying at nice hotels or anything, they still had to eat. And not every time they needed money, Jesus said, go get something out of a fish's mouth. It didn't happen every time. It was so stark when it happened, they wrote it down, right? There's funding that's going on. To become myself, listen closely, to become myself and for you to become yourself, because you are made and created in the image of God, pay attention to your passion around generosity. It's part of you being you. Now, when it comes to generosity, it kind of falls into one of three categories or maybe all three of them. It's our time, it's our talent, and it's our treasure. Pay attention to what you're passionate about. Like, I've had people over the years come up to me and say, you know, I really believe that God's called me to create wealth for the kingdom of God. And there are some people that have said that to me, and it's like when they say it, I know it, and I've watched it in their life. It's like it's true about them. And then I've watched other people tell me that, and I think that's all about, this has nothing to do with the kingdom of God. You want to be wealthy for your kingdom. That's all that's about, and, and the fruit of their life. So pay attention. Don't be deceived and move and invest your life in something don't spend your time pursuing things like money for yourself. You will not be you in God's economy if that's the point. If you want to do that, that's great. Just don't blame it on God. Does this make sense? Like, pay attention to the passion. Your passion around your time and your passion around your resources and your... You know, your passion around your talents. Everybody, this is where we find what we're called to. And what we're find, how we find, we invest that way. And that's how we become who God's called us to be. One theologian puts, put it this way, New Testament expert says, this term that they were providing for them is actually the term that means kept providing. It was ongoing. Whatever resources they had, it was an ongoing resource of replenishing the purse and the wallet. And many of you know the goodness of that. You have felt the goodness of that, the replenishing, whether it's your time, your talent, or your resources, or all of those things. You, you sense that. But I just admonish you to pay attention to your passion around that. What is your passion? Not everybody is created to create wealth for the kingdom of God. That's not everybody's passion. Pay attention to your passion. It might be serving children in children's ministry. It might be, you know, doing, doing some work out in the community. Whatever it is, pay attention because that's how you get a good grip on you being you, the, the thing that God created you for, which leads me to this last piece, and it's just this loving and serving now, probably the most um, 
powerful thing, I think, about Mary's life is it was uh, Thomas Aquinas that said Mary Magdalene was the apostle. He was the first one that we know of that said she was the apostle to the apostles, which means she was the sent one. She took the message of the resurrection to the apostles. You know, we just read part of that, right, where Jesus tells her, go back to the disciples, to the apostles. So she goes to the apostles. So she's the first one to see, but it's powerful the way that she loves and serves. She is an amazing example of a witness. Maybe outside of John, and John you could even question, there's no one who witnesses as much as Mary does. Mary travels with Jesus. She's She's in that seminary. We don't know exactly how long that is. She follows Jesus through the whole process of his crucifixion. She watches Jesus be taken off the cross. She knows where Jesus is buried. She goes to the tomb. She experiences the resurrection. And then she's sent to proclaim Mary may be the most viable witness of the resurrection in history. She has a passion around the whole story. To love Jesus and to invest your one and only life and to become yourself is the invitation that Mary examples for us. Kierkegaard said, and most of us are familiar with this, with God's help, I shall become myself. Mary was a passionate observer of all of these things. Now, it's really interesting. There's this one story about demon possession of a man in Mark chapter 5, it shows up. It's where the demons are sent into the pigs and they go off the cliff, if you're familiar with it. And at the end of the story, at the end of the story, this is what happens. So the guy gets delivered from the demons. The the demons go into the pigs. The pigs go into the water. And this is what it says. It says, those who had seen it, so there's this big crowd around, those who had seen it told the people what had happened to the demon-possessed man and told about the pigs as well. And the people began to plead with Jesus to leave their region. It was freaking him out. As Jesus was getting into the boat, the man who had been demon-possessed begged to go with him. So the guy that gets deliverance from the spirits, he wants to go with Jesus. Makes sense. Jesus did not let him, but said to him, Go home to your family and tell them how much the Lord has done for you and how he has had mercy on you. So the man went away and began to tell in Decapolis, how much Jesus had done for him, and all the people were amazed. Isn't that beautiful? Do you ever wonder why Jesus did that? Why didn't Jesus, like he did that a handful of times? Like, so he kind of describes it here. He says, I want you to go back home. And that's you being you. I want you to go back. I want you to sit on your front porch and I want people to walk by and just see you and know 
that the power of God is real. And that was him being him. If that guy would have gotten in the boat and went with Jesus somehow, Jesus told him not to because Jesus said, you be you. This is who you are. But he didn't do that with Mary. When Mary gets deliverance, we don't know how this all works out, but Jesus says, come on, join the band. We're going to travel the countryside, and you're going to help with more than just funding the mission. You're going to learn. You're going to be someone who will proclaim the resurrection. You'll be the first one in the church that will go tell which in Matthew 28 becomes the Great Commission, right? Go into all the earth. It's part of the call for all of us. But when we all live into what we've been called to live into, it really gets powerful. You be you. I don't know if the call on your life is, and the invitation from Jesus for you is that you go experience the goodness of God and you're, you go back home. I don't, I don't know what those invitations are for each one of us, but I know there's invitations for each one of us. I told somebody last night, uh, they asked me, they said, so when you were a little kid, were you dreaming about being a pastor? I started laughing. I know, that really wasn't... I wasn't even dreaming about getting to church when I was a little kid because I just didn't. He's dreaming about baseball fields. But then one day, as a part of my story, God gave me an invitation and said, Scott, this will be you. Not everybody travels the same way. But what's important is that you travel the way Jesus wants you to travel, right? So that's what I want to leave you with. Just a question for all of us to consider as we go into some time of praying together. What is the next step to stay true to your call? Let's all read that together. What is the next step to stay true to your call? God bless you guys. I love you so much. Let's stand together as Shannon leads us in prayers of the people. As Shannon and J.D. share prayers of the people. J.D., can I say this? Because it is funny. J.D.'s like, I have my lawn mowing clothes on today. I said, no problem, no problem. I said, but you do know we're in Calhoun County, right? We, some, some weeks we wear our lawn mowing clothes. Some days we wear our slippers. Anyway, so, so thank you guys for saying yes. Creator of the universe. We give thanks for this past week and wait with expectation for all that the new one brings. Help us to receive, give, love, and serve the way you created us. Help us us to to receive, receive, give, love, and serve in the the way way you created us. Loving one, help us to see the things that you have created us for. Let us give thanks for our God-designed purpose. May we find places to be of service and where we can experience the fullness of walking out in our individual call as it joins with the call of others in our community. 
Help us to receive, give, love, and serve in the way you created us. Protecting God, we pray for our brothers and sisters in danger throughout the world this morning, those in danger of war in Ukraine and Syria and Yemen, those seeking refuge in South America and the Middle East, those suffering persecution throughout the world. We know that you hear their voices, God. Do what is yours to do, and let us hear what is ours to do. Help us us to receive, give, love, and serve in the way you created us. Our God, help us to heal the divisions in our world. Let us be people of reconciliation. Help us to listen more than we speak, and speak words of love, healing, and salvation. Help us to receive, give, love, and serve in the way you created us. In the silence, let us begin this new week listening to the voice of God, ready to respond. Help us to receive, give, love, and serve in the way you created us. So I'm going to ask, Lindsay, would you go back to that first song? that we sang, that brand new song you taught us today, that would be a really good chorus for us to to go home with. And um, so lead us out with that. Get your hopes up, our God is for us. He's brought us back to life. Together, get your hopes up, lift your head up, let your faith arise. Get your hopes up, our God is for us, He brought us back to life, and we will get your hopes up, lift our head up, let your faith arise.
bless them, bless their goings out and all they do in, uh, in their workplaces and in their school this week. And God, let them know that the thing that is theirs to do, God, you are with them and you are strengthening them and you love them so much. So we pray and receive a blessing in the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit today. And we all said, Amen. Have a wonderful week, everyone. We hope to see you again next Sunday.